My name's Jack. Um, I'm some dude. Um, now I'm in the process of becoming an elder here at Remedy. Um, and by the mercies of God, I get to speak with you this morning um, about something big, something really big. Um, the title of the sermon is uh, Joining God in the Missio Dei, uh, which is a Latin term, uh, which just means the mission of God. And the reality is, is we are all part of something bigger than most of the time we understand. There are no accidents in the world. It is the way God has made it. And we as believers are part of a grand story that encompasses all of history. A story where God created everything and it was good. And then mankind broke it. And when it was broken and messed up, God didn't leave it that way. God came to provide redemption for rebels. That's the grand story of all of history. Everything revolves around the fact that though we rebelled against God, God has come for us. And instead of just being bystanders in the story or mere background characters, God grants us the privilege and the capacity to be part of his story. And so today we're, we're finishing out this resolved series and, and Fudd and I were, were talking about and praying through these these four um, these four sermons and what it is God was calling our church to kind of push a little bit and to to take a, a, another step forward. And as we as we talked about about mission and missions, um, we really we really hit home that we feel like God has given us a great vision for this city. And God has given us a heart to reach out to those who are around us. And we want to see all 70,000 people in Rock Hill come to know Christ. And we want to serve and we want to go. But we also believe that we need to have an even greater vision outside of Rock Hill. Because if we only have a vision for our city, we will become extremely tunnel visioned and lose the grand picture of what God is calling us to be a part of. And what God is calling every believer to be a part of. And so this morning... What I hope that God will do by his spirit is that he will open all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our eyes to this grand, beautiful history that he is writing and has written that we get to be a part of. And that when we leave here more than just we will have heard about what God wants to do. We will see that it is what God wants to do and that he is calling us to be there with him. Every one of us in some shape, form or fashion. The video that was there before us was a reading from a passage in Revelation 7. And I don't know if you could hear it or not, but there were about seven different languages. Um, these are all people I knew personally 
and it was it was interesting. I was sitting here. I listened to it the first service, and it didn't it didn't hit me the way that it hit me this service. As I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about these people who I know personally who who read this passage for me a few years ago to to make the audio, and just began just just burst in my heart that people from all over the world were worshiping the same God that I serve. Pray that this morning that we will have the same desire and joy as we look at this together. Um, when Flood asked me if I would if I would preach on this, um, he did so kind of knowing some of my background. So let me share my background with you. Um, if any of you grew up in, in Southern Baptist life, instead of especially old school Southern Baptist, we had this thing called Mission Friends. And so when you were real little, you started learning about missionaries. And I remember being about four or five years old, learning about missionaries in Africa and stuff. And that that kind of set me on a trajectory. Uh, I remember always we'd be in church. My favorite times when those missionaries would come and speak and you'd hear about what they did. And people would come back from trips. And back then we used slide projectors. And uh, it was awesome, especially when they didn't hang up and you got to see the pictures. And every now and then one of them was upside down and everybody laughed and it was great. But I wanted to see, I could see that. I was like, man, that's awesome. And then by the time I got into youth group, we, uh, the church I was at was very focused on missions. And so I got my first missions opportunity when I was about 13 years old. And, and instead of just hearing about it, I got to experience it. And that just sunk deep into me and I, I couldn't stop. And so, so as I would, every chance I got, I would go and I would go wherever. And I, I got the chance to go to Mexico while I was still a teenager. And then when I got to college, God granted me the, the privilege of serving uh, entire summers doing missions. And I got to meet my wife while doing missions, serving together. It was great. I mean, what better place to meet the person you're going to live forever with than serving Jesus together? It was it was fantastic. And then I graduated college and I didn't know what I was going to thought I was going to go to seminary. And God put a roadblock there in the form of not being able to fill out an application. And I can write for days and I could not fill out this application. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I'm not making this stuff up. I was actually sitting on the couch in my dorm room praying. And the phone rang. And I almost didn't answer it because I was a little ticked off that my phone rang in the middle of my quiet time. But I answered it and literally somebody on the other end said, man, there's this opportunity. Would you be interested in going serving as a year in Wyoming as a missionary? And God answered my prayer and he allowed me right after college to go serve a year. And then Carrie and I got married, went to seminary, had the opportunity to go to Haiti. And since then have been to Ethiopia, all over the world, um, And I don't tell you that to be like, hey, look at me, look what I've done. I tell you that so you'll know where I'm coming from. Missions is not something that has just been theory for me. It's not something that I learned in seminary. And I thought because it sounded good that I should get passionate about it. God, from the youngest age, I believe, has been instilling in me a heart for the nations. And there's been times when Carrie and I have even asked. I mean, one time I came back from Ethiopia, she told me, she said, I thought when you came back from this, we were just going to start selling everything because I figured God was going to call you and we were going to go. And there's been times that I remember sitting on the pew of a church and saying, God, are you calling us to go? And God has not sent us somewhere over there 
God has sent us to Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I think part of the reason that God has birthed this burden and this vision in my heart is that because so often we don't have a real good picture of what missions is. And those people who get excited about missions go, and they should, and we're left clapping for them and going back to life. My hope is that God would allow me the privilege to be a a voice into your life which will spark within you this burden for the nations, this burden for the glory of God. So as I was praying about what to do, it's kind of like, you know, I don't think this is the, you know, Lord willing, this won't be the only chance I'll have to share with you and preach. But, you know, I got this big topic, missions, international missions, reaching the nations for Christ. And I don't want to just get up here and spout stuff off. I want, I want, to, be, I want to be centered in the word of God. I want to, I want to show and, 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 and open up God's word and reveal his heart and not my heart. And so I prayed, where could I go? And man, there were so many places. And, and even this week, I, was, uh, I kind of told Fudd and Ben, they were getting stuff ready for the service. And I told them where I thought I was going. And then I went somewhere totally different. But that's okay, because uh, we're here this morning. And, and I, I'm in a passage this morning. That God brought me back to because it's one that he used in my heart to just really deepen an understanding of his heart for the nations and our place in that. So this morning, if you will, if you will turn to Psalm 67, Psalm 67, not a typical missions text. If you've been around churches for a while, when you talk missions, you usually go Great Commission, Matthew 28, and so there's some different places. Not a typical text. Now, if you, if you don't have a Bible under the chair in front of you, there should be a blue and white one right there. One, if you don't own a Bible, then take that. It's yours. It's our gift for you. Please enjoy it. Read it. Um, if you just need to borrow it, that's fine too. Psalm 67, if you don't know where Psalms is... Take your Bible, open it right to the middle. You should be right around there in Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 67. I ask if you will, if you would uh, join me in standing. Uh, that's what we do here uh, in Remedy. When we read God's Word, we want to we stand in honor of it. Uh, Psalm 67, I'm going to read all seven verses. Read like this. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And make His face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us your heart. And Lord, I pray that now that you would take our hearts and you would join them with your heart and that today we would be set even more steadfastly on a trajectory to see your name exalted in Rock Hill, in America, and around the world. Lord, we love you and ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, we want to take this psalm, and, and really what it, here's what I hope to do, Lord willing, is I just want to, I want to pull out three Three things from this psalm, three, three statements, three truths, three realities, if you will. And I, I want to just lay them out there for us. There, there's nothing complicated about them. I hope they will be very clear. There are these three things. And then after we do those, I want to take and look at two considerations from that. And this psalm, you'll notice, just kind of give you a heads up of where we're going. This psalm has some, some uh, 
a structure to it. And it's almost if you could kind of consider a pyramid. There's a, there's a foundation, then a next step up, and then a point. And so the first two verses kind of lay the foundation. There's a next step up in verses 3 and verses 5. say so the same thing. And then in verse 4 is the pinnacle. And that's where our third point is going to be. So we're going to be building towards something. And all of it's important, but it's all setting us on this one path, this one trajectory to this very top thing. So here's what we're going to do. We want want to start and work our way there and then see what that looks like for us as a church and us as individuals. And the first thing that I would like for you to see coming out of this text is that God's salvation has been entrusted. Real simple statement. God's salvation has been entrusted. You'll notice there in verse 1, the psalmist writes, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this passage is that it's very similar in this first part to a blessing that God gave to the priest that they were to pronounce on all of Israel. Number six says this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel and say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So this blessing that God gave the priest to pronounce on the people was a way that God was 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 showing his presence and putting his name on the people. And it's interesting that as you read this first verse, notice that it's speaking about God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. It's almost Almost impersonal. It's, it's, it's just speaking of a fact. May God do this. But then notice verse 2. There's a definite change in the language. That your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all nations. And what happens is after this first verse. This desire that God would bless. As you're saying. May God bless us. And in the heart of the psalmist is. I want God to bless us. And he automatically turns to God as he's seeking the blessing. He's not just seeking a blessing that your saving power may be known among the nations. And so let us just say here from the very beginning, there's a lot of garbage on TV. And there's a lot of things that right now passes as Christianity that says God is here for you just to bless you and make you happy and give you lots of stuff. And that's God's point in life is a cosmic sugar daddy to just toss stuff your way. And if you'll just believe enough, he'll give it to you. That's garbage. God doesn't just say, have the right amount of faith and I'll give you anything and everything that you want. Notice the heart of the psalmist here. His cry for blessing is not So that he could have a bigger house, a bigger retirement account, so he could be more secure forever. God, would you bless me and bless me and bless me so that I have no worries? The cry here is, God, would you bless us so that we can make known your saving power among the nations? That word is important. In the Hebrew, the word nations is the word goyim. It is the non-Israelites. It is the pagans. It is everybody else. It's the ones who don't have the law. It's the ones who don't have God. They don't have the temple. As a matter of fact, the Goyim were people like the worshipers of Molech who would take their children and burn them in the fire. 
There were these people who had these temples and they were trying to pull away the people of God to worship false gods. They were the Philistines who would come and raid Israel. They were the Amalekites. They were all these nations, all these nations around Israel. And the psalmist says, God, would you bless us so that we can make known your saving power to the nations? This is odd. This makes no sense. This would be like us saying, God, would you bless us so that I can go to an Al-Qaeda meeting and share the gospel? God, would you bless me so that I can go to India in the middle of radical Hinduism and as they're burning churches, share the gospel with them? God, would you take me and put me in front of a million people and a profound atheist who hates you? And would you let me share the gospel with him? This is like what they're saying. And it's not just because they have a death wish or they're just really nice. They have experienced God. But in this blessing, there's also an echo of Genesis 12. Because in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. He calls him out. He says, leave your family. Go to the place that I'm going to show you. And this is what he says. I will bless you. And all families and peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God's promise to Abraham was, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. But I'm not blessing you for yourself. I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. It wasn't just Abraham. God, in his whole plan, this mission of God, calls out Abraham. He says, God, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, but it's not for you. Because through your family, I'm going to send one who will be a blessing to everybody. And those who knew God knew that this was part of God's plan. And so what they're saying is, God, bless us. Keep your covenant with Abraham. And through us, may the nations be blessed. It's interesting when you read uh, Galatians 3, Paul writes this. And if you are in Christ, if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I think most of us in this room aren't Jewish, aren't natural descendants of Abraham. But the promise that God made to Abraham is ours Because we are in Christ. That is good news. But that promise, those blessings, that gospel that has come to us through Christ, is not ours to wrap up and put in a little box and put it on a shelf so that when we get sad, we can just pull it down and look at it and say, Oh, God loves me. He sent Jesus for me. That's awesome. Wrap it back up. And put it on the shelf. When God saves us. He gives us this glorious gospel. And like the psalmist. It doesn't then take us to. Oh for myself. But oh God you show me this. How do I show it to others? How do I make known for everyone else. What you have done. And who you are. You see, Paul, Paul got this. Paul said something in Colossians 1.24 that, that sounds at first glance, if you listen to it, it sounds at first glance almost heretical. And it's in the Bible. Okay, this is what it says. 
Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Do you get that? Paul is saying, in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. And your your heresy meter should be kind of ticking a little bit right now. Because you're like, no, no, no. Christ is sufficient. Jesus is the only sacrifice. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only one who could pay the price so that we could come to the Father. Paul, you can't add anything to that. To which Paul would say, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm not adding anything to it. There is something that's lacking, though. Revelation 5 tells us Christ has ransomed or redeemed people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Let me ask you something. Are there worshipers from every nation, tribe, and tongue right now worshiping Christ? The answer is no. So you know what's lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? That they would know that they've been redeemed. That they would know that though they are at odds with God, born rebellious, God has provided a way that they could be forgiven and taken from rebels and brought into his family and adopted in. The only thing that's lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions is that those who've been redeemed don't know it. And they're living in darkness and they're living in helplessness and they're living in hopelessness. There are over 5,800 people groups or nations or groups of people around the world right now that have little to no access to the gospel. They've got no clue what we're talking about right now. In the sense that English is a foreign language to them, this concept, totally foreign. What is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions is that they be told that the sacrifice has been paid. Now there's a danger here. There's a danger when we talk about it this way. And the danger is that we make missions all about those who are lost. And let me tell you something. That's huge. It's huge to think that there are billions of people right now who don't know Christ. And if they don't know Christ, they are separated from God and under his just wrath. When you consider the weight of that, it is massive. But, but I want to caution us. If that is our motivation for missions, it will cause us to fall short. Because people disappoint. People are hard-headed. People are sinful. And if us reaching people is what missions is all about, then we have missed the most important aspect of all. And the most important aspect is our next point. God is infinitely worthy. God is worth is infinite. Notice, if you will, verses 3 and 5. I want, to, I want to get to what, what this... We're, we're, remember, we're climbing to this climax. So I want you to see there are people who don't know. And we've been given salvation. And that salvation is not ours alone, but to be given away. But there's a next, next level to this that, that, that we've got to climb to. And it's verses 3 and 5. Look what it says. It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. But then look at verse 5. Notice that it's the exact same thing. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, when there's repetition in the Bible, it's not because the author got his notes shuffled up and forgot that he already wrote that. It's not that he just thinks we're hard-headed. When there's repetition in the Bible, the inspired author under the Holy Spirit is putting this in, and it should grab our attention. It should cause us to stop and say, okay, wait just a second. Why is this same thing there twice? And here's what I would say to you. The magnitude of God's character and the glory of His name is the driving force for missions. Deeper than the need that people have for Him is God Himself. God is infinitely worthy of worship. Not only from creation, but from every human being. See, what happened in the garden was this. God created man. and Everything was good. It was perfect harmony. Everything was great. People got along great. And the relationship with God was perfect. He was satisfying. He fulfilled. Everything was great. Adam and Eve had perfect harmony with God. Ultimate satisfaction. Everything. It was there. It was good. And the lie came in. And Satan came up and said, I don't think God's really all that good. You know why? He's got this tree over here. What did he tell you? I told you you couldn't eat that, right? You really think he's trying to protect you? Now, you see that tree over there? That tree over there would make life better. Make you stronger. Make you more like God. So you see what he's doing? Yeah. He's actually holding you down. It's really not all that good. And at that moment, Adam and Eve believed the lie. They believed God's really not that good. And instead of living in complete harmony and worship with God... They walked away from him, trusted in themselves and bought the lie. And everything fell apart after that. And now, instead of us worshiping God rightly, we're curved in on ourselves, thinking about us. But it's not just us, it's everybody around the world. And those of us who know God know that he's worthy of worship. Listen to what Psalm 96 says. Because he worships more, worships more than singing, okay? Worship's not what we do when we get done with preaching those three songs. That's part of worship. Life is worship. Thoughts are worship. Words are worship. The way we interact with our spouse, the way we do our job, the way you drive is worship. Because worship is recognizing the greatness of God and letting your life be set in such a way that it is for Him, to Him, about Him, showing all of the world that He's better, greater, more wonderful. He's everything. That's worship. Notice what Psalm 96 says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. 
Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him. All the earth say among the nations, the Lord reigns, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Worship is more than gathering for an hour and singing a few songs. Worship is what God is worthy of. John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, writes this. Where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to declare his glory among the nations. Even outsiders feel the disparity between the boldness of our claim upon the nations and the blandness of our engagement with God. John Stott writes, The highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, as important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, as strong as that incentive is, especially when contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. We should be jealous for the honor of his name, troubled when it remains unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honor and glory that it is due. The enduring and empowering fuel of missions is that God is worthy of the eternal worship of every human being ever made. And when we are jealous for the worship of God, it drives us deep. The last thing is this God's judgment is sure. God's judgment is sure. Now, there's something that's interesting here. Verse four, and this is this is the pinnacle. So this is where we're going. So I hope that hope that you'll see how all this kind of ties together here in the pinnacle. Verse four says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So we move from let the peoples praise you. And so then let the nations be glad and sing for joy. We were created to be satisfied and fulfilled by God. That was part of his purpose in creating us. He created us in his image. We were designed to be satisfied and fulfilled by him. And because of our rejection of him, because of our sinfulness, we now seek satisfaction in stuff. We seek it in new cars. We seek it in the approval of people. We seek it in a lifestyle. We seek it in so many different ways. But all of that ultimately doesn't make us glad. You ask somebody who's very wealthy. Why don't you just stop trying to make money and just give it all away? They need another dollar. 
find somebody who's addicted to a relationship. They'll find everything they can. As soon as one satisfaction ends, they've either got to end that one and start another relationship, or they've got to find something because that's where they find satisfaction. That's where they find hope. That's where they find fulfillment. And this is not an American thing. This is a people thing. Because at the core of who we are, our hearts are sick. They're broken. They're sinful. And the things that we do are just symptoms of the inner disease. And so our greatest result of sin is that we treasure stuff and ourselves more than we treasure God. And ultimately, that can't make us happy. Ultimately, that can't fulfill us because we were designed to be filled by the infinite God. And so when we put finite stuff together and try to shove it in there, it doesn't work. So we got to keep shoving stuff in there. And this is true of the person who lives in the middle of nowhere, Africa, to the person who lives in downtown Chicago, to the person who lives everywhere. We are all by nature this way. And the only way... That the nations can be glad and sing for joy is that they find Christ. Because in Christ, the fullness of God dwells. In Christ, we have fulfillment of all the promises. Things have been made right. We've been brought back to God. And instead of being alienated, we now have him. He has adopted us into his family. And Colossians 3 verse 1 says that our life is hidden with him in God. We are seated at his right hand where Psalm 16 11 says there is pleasures forevermore. You see, when you love somebody, you want them to have the absolute best. The only thing that will ultimately fulfill and set people free is that they have Christ. You see, there's a great need. We've been entrusted with salvation. And we serve a glorious God who is worthy of honor and praise and worship. And God is so glorified when he takes people who are rebellious he takes down for no anything inside them on their own. And he raises them up and puts them into his family. And so when we are there sharing the gospel, the good news of Christ with those who've never heard, we get the glorious privilege of being part of something that brings God profound and great glory because he is holy. He is just. He is good. Look what it says right here. This is this sounds odd. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you. Judge the peoples with equity. It sounds weird. Judgment doesn't bring joy. Judgment doesn't bring happiness. Judgment brings condemnation. Judgment brings guilt. Why would you sing for joy if God is going to judge? Here's why. Because the person in India doesn't have to find their way to God. The person in Africa doesn't have to find another way. Neither does the person in Rock Hill. There's one way to God. That's not narrow-minded and bigoted. That's great news. Because every single person on the earth has a way to God through Christ. They don't got to figure it out on their own. They don't got to do lots of stuff. They don't got to keep lots of rules. They understand that God came for them and they trust it with all of their heart. And every person on the world has one way. That's good news. And that's why they can rejoice. 
Because if you live in China, you don't have to do it the Chinese way. If you live in Saudi Arabia, you don't have to do it the Saudi Arabian way. There's one way. Trust in Christ. And when you trust in Him, you get it all. And then when they take your stuff away and burn your house down, they've really only just taken your stuff. You still got Christ. And He is everything. So you see there? That's why it's good news that He judges the peoples with equity. And He guides the nations. He's sovereign over it all. Nobody's going to change this. Nobody's going to do away with this. It's simple. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's that it's so simple, yet eternally profound. So, so why, why, why must we resolve ourselves that we will join the mission of God and do what it is that He's doing? Because God's entrusted us with salvation. If you're sitting here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, you have been given adoption. You have been brought into the family of God. You are some of the ones he has ransomed and redeemed and brought into his family. But that salvation is entrusted to you not for you to keep it and hoard it to yourself, but that you might declare it to others because God is infinitely worthy of worship of everyone. And when we go, God's justice, his judgment is sure. Everyone will face judgment, but there's good news. There's one way and one way alone that you can escape the wrath of God, and it's through Christ. He has paid the price. And so when we see this, we can't just sit here and say, that's kind of a cool idea. Man, those people that are over there doing that, man, I'm I'm happy for them. This isn't for those people who are over there doing that. This is for us. So having considered this, some closing, two things in closing. Uh, One is the question, so what does this mean for us? And um, these these three categories I'm about to bring out, these aren't original with me. I wish I could say that I came up with these, but I'm not smart enough to do this. So, you know, I borrowed this from somebody else, but it's really good. So what I want to do is I want to take this and kind of put it on remedy. So what does this look like in remedy? Um, It leaves us in one of three positions. Um, You're either a goer. Which I don't even know if that's right English or not, but that's but you're a goer, so which means you you go on mission. You go outside of Rock Hill. You you go to the nations. And there's ways of doing that. There we we live in a time where it is easier to go than ever. And do you realize this? I mean, just this past week, in, in preparation for a trip that I'm doing uh, in July in Peru, just this past week, on a Monday afternoon, I got on a plane and was in Barcelona 12 hours later. And then that Friday, I got on another plane, and 12 hours later, I was in Peru. And then I was right back here. Within a matter of a week, I've flown like thousands of miles. And it just takes hours. When I went to Ethiopia before, 17 hours, that's it. Do you know how long missionaries a hundred years ago, you know how long it would take them to get somewhere like that? They were on a boat and it would take months. And they would die on the boat because of diseases and stuff. Now the worst you're going to get is a cold. And they're serving you orange juice. So you just drink a lot of it so you don't get the cold so you're ready to go when you get there. They even give you a little eye mask and earplugs so you can sleep and get rested on your way there. I mean, it's so easy for us to do this. Yes, I know it costs money, but just... Put that aside for a minute. It is so easy to go. So much easier than it ever has been at any time in history. You have an American passport. That will get you almost anywhere. 
People all over the world speak English. They want to talk to Americans. Everywhere that I've been, they find out you're an American. They want to practice their English. What's the most important thing in your life? Well, you're going to talk about your family. Then you're going to talk about Jesus. There are people in China right now coming to Jesus all over the place because people just want to talk English. So they start talking about the most important thing in their life, which is Jesus. Wow, that's kind of cool how that works. There are opportunities all over. You know, we live in a day and age when short-term missions is huge. You can go to the nations. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to do anything. You can go for a week, two weeks, a month. And opportunities are available all over. And, and I've said this first service, and I will say it again. I work with college students, so I'm a little bit more bold with college students. So if you'll give me just a second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it out there. I think it is shameful that a cult can mobilize their college-age students to go all over the world to spread a lie. When a vast majority of our college students who are believers are more worried about what kind of job they're going to get after they graduate. And though they wouldn't say they could care less about the nations, oftentimes their actions reveal that they could care less. There are more opportunities for those of you who are in college right now to go to the nations than there ever has been. Can you take four months, one semester, just one semester? I mean, I want to push for more, but can you just take one semester in the grand scheme of life, four months and give it to Jesus? You can come back and get your job after that. I mean, doggone it. The way the economy is right now, just go ahead and do two years. Just do two years. Go, go live in the hard places. Tell people about Jesus. Man, an employer might even like it that you took some initiative and went somewhere and did something. Don't you see? We're so wrapped up and I've got to get my degree and I've got to be able to buy the house so I can get the car, so I can get married. When you're in a position where you can go. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that he wishes everybody was like him, single, so they didn't have the concerns of what's going on. They could be free to go. Maybe you're in that position right now. And maybe some of you are parents of college students and you're getting a little bit weirded out that I'm talking about this right now. Thank you, Jesus. Because I want to push you a little bit. I got four kids and I love them. And my wife and I are already praying that God would take them somewhere to do something for Jesus. And it scares the mess out of me to think that God might take them somewhere hard. But they're His They're his. He gave them to us that we might give them back to him. And if he sees fit to call them somewhere that's a little bit difficult, he made the world. He can take care of our kids. And if he takes them home, they'll be there waiting for us. As much pain as that would cause us now. Do we love Jesus more than we love our children? And will we set them free on a trajectory to live a life boldly for the glory of God? So parents, I know some of you, I'm making really nervous right now. And just believe me, it's hitting my heart heavy. But there's nothing greater than seeing our kids live for Jesus. 
It's a short term. Another short term thing, right here in our church, we're, we're, going, we're, we're looking at a partnership with the, the, in Columbia, not Columbia, South Carolina, Columbia, South America. And we're going, we're, we're, we're sending a vision team down there to prayerfully consider what God might be doing. And as we do that, we, we're praying that this might be a partnership where we can send teams down. So maybe you've never been outside of South Carolina but you know God may be calling you something short term. Maybe that's something that you want to be a part of in the future as we look at it. You start praying, God, would you send me there? Or so many other places. But it's also my prayer that God would raise up people from our congregation who will quit their jobs and go somewhere else just for Jesus. I had the opportunity when I was at this um, training. I was with some of our... Uh, our Southern Baptist missionaries that I can't tell you where all of them were from um, because they're in some pretty high secure areas. Um, but you know the thing that, that impressed me about all of them? They're just people. They're just, they're just people. Like, they're normal. They don't, they don't have a halo. You know, I kind of thought that's how you identified missionaries, and they had to hide that when they go overseas because they got this weird, like, funky glow about them or something. They're just people. They have families. And God called them out and sent them apart. Now, there are the goers, and then there are the senders. Now, here, here's something I want to say, okay? I remember being in seminary, and every year in chapel, we would have, you know, somebody would talk about international missions. And here's the thing I always remembered. I would get done with that sermon, and I just felt guilty. I'm not going to be a missionary. I'm less of a pastor. I just don't love Jesus that much because I'm staying here in America. That's not my heart this morning, and I hope that you can hear that. My heart is to not make you feel guilty because you won't quit your job and go over. God's not called you to do that, not all of you. Maybe some of you, but God's not called all of you to do that. In fact, God's called some of you to continue doing what you're doing and being a missionary where you are. That's good. But if you're not called to go, you are called to be a part of us sending out people that they can go. So we support and we encourage and we pray for those people. But then we also say, okay, God's not called me to go. You know, some people, some of the greatest senders in the world are those that God has blessed financially and they get this psalm right here. They say, man, God's been gracious to me. God has blessed me uh, in so many ways. One of those is with money. And so God's not sending me to go, but God's given me this, and I want to use it for his glory. And this person is going. So I want to support them. I want to send them. I want to equip them so that they can go. God, God's not called me to go. Some people can't go because of health reasons. Some people can't go simply because they are the senders. That's what they're here for. That's their part in it. But never let a sender be a, just a place of complacency. Because the danger is, like, oh yeah, I'm a sender. I'm not called to go. I'm going to pray for you. Love you. Meet you when you get back off the plane. A sender sends. We, 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 we help with that. The third position is the disobedient. It's those who just won't listen. Last thing I want to leave you with is this. There's, there's three positions. We can be, I'll be in one of those positions. The last thing is this. We must allow our worship to fuel a passion to see others come to know Jesus. Our worship here is not just about us. And as we, as we worship Christ, we draw deep into his heart. 
Our prayer is that as we do that, our hearts will be enlarged for those who don't know him. That they would find the ultimate joy and satisfaction in Christ. And that through that, Christ would receive much glory and worship. And so everything is Jesus-centered. So even this morning, as we, as we turn and we express our worship through singing, would you take and ask Jesus to use that worship to deepen your heart for him and, and, and to show you how you can be a part of, of his work amongst the nations to bring people into himself. We, we call this series Resolved. And um, we started out, Fudd, the first sermon, uh, read some of Jonathan Edwards as a pastor in America and long time ago and he read some of his resolutions and this was the first one we'll close it out with this resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence Resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this. Whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Could it be said of us that we are a people who love Jesus so profoundly that we love our city well? And that we love the nations for his name and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for showing us your heart. And inviting us to join you in your mission. So Father, I pray that even now that you would set our affections more clearly and deeply on Jesus. And that you would use us that you would use us for your glory. Thank you, Father, for this. We love you and we ask it in Christ's name.